we haven't really begun to uh, we've really been focusing on the pandemic and what is happening right now because of the pandemic uh, with a lot of our stories. Um, but we haven't been focusing on collateral damage. And I think the collateral damage from the, the COVID pandemic, it, we haven't even started to touch, scratch the surface on what that collateral damage will be. There will, will be more stories emerging as this pandemic continues. But yesterday, a tweet by Dr. Nadia Alam caught Chris's eye and he shared it with me. The tweet is six weeks into the hashtag COVID-19 pandemic with 12,000 procedures delayed per week. Add to that thousands of doctors at risk of closing their practices. Wait lists will explode. I worry most about what this means for patients. Dr. Nadia Alum is with us right now. Uh, Doctor, it's always good to have you on the program. Thanks for being here. Thank you very much for having me on the show, Kelly. Um, What are the general challenges right now for the family doctor during the COVID-19 pandemic? I find that the biggest challenge right now is that there are two. There are two that kind of compete for being the topmost challenge. The first one is PPE, personal protective equipment, uh, equipment like masks, gowns, gloves, face shields to help you take care of patients, to prevent passing infection to patients, to prevent passing infections from one patient to another. That kind of equipment, there have been global shortages all around the world. There have been provincial shortages. It is, and the price of PPE has skyrocketed. Most family doctors buy their own PPE from private dealers, private manufacturers like Medimart and, and surgical supply stores and things like that. Um, the other one that's kind of competing with that is a lot of doctors, thousands of doctors, are running out of money to keep their clinics open. And so they're having to fire highly trained employees. They're having to um, close down on certain days just to, um, just to keep going. Some of them have dipped into their savings. Some have applied for federal loans. Some have applied for provincial loans. There is no one solution that's there to help everybody because you don't qualify for everything. And with those clinics closing, I kind of worry if a family doctor closes, that's a thousand to two thousand patients who are without a family doctor and have no access to care. If a specialist closes, what happens to all of the people they're taking care of and the people on their wait list? These are the two things that are keeping me up at night. I have to admit. Okay, let's start off with PPE because you brought that mm-hmm. up first. Um, when you say you have to secure it from uh, manufacturers or, or companies that sell it, have the prices increased at all? And I, I would imagine you're in direct. Co- um, direct competition with the government because we heard from a guy who listens to the show his name is rob and he works on uh fighter jets and he says he needs ppe the reason why is he works with um there's a lot of carcinogenic material that um, is involved in his work and he's finding that his supplier has been told not to supply them with uh ppe because the government is procuring all their PPE and sending it out uh, to where they think it needs to go. I would imagine as a family doctor and as a frontline worker that the government would have been, uh, you know, we would, I think the public just imagines that the government's supplying you with PPE. So you're dealing with uh, other, you know, a third party and you're trying to secure PPE. What are the prices like? It's crazy, Kelly. It's just, it's insane. It's so a yellow isolation gown. Single-use disposable isolation gown used to cost maybe 50 cents a piece. Now they cost eight bucks a piece. Um, Isn't that price gouging? 
I mean, the government said they were going to crack down on price gouging. I had hoped they would, but unfortunately, it's still happening. And because family doctors are desperate to stay open, specialists are desperate to stay open, some of them are accepting these prices because there's no one really there to to protect us. The government is not supplying us with PPE. I, Kelly, I'm running community drives. I am dependent on donations from nail salons and, and auto body shops and dentist's office and, and the goodwill and kind hearts of my community to help give me, bring me masks and gloves and gowns. I have 300 plus people sewing in Halton Hill to make reusable cloth gowns. I've got um, many, many people with 3D printers who are churning out face shields so we can use because buying them has become not only difficult, but just unaffordable. It's insane. So do you still feel worried for your health and and your colleagues' health and and your patients' health uh, because of uh, a lack of PPE that you've got going on? I do worry. I, I worry that if I get sick, what will that mean for my kids? What will that mean for my husband who's trying to take care of my kids and still work? He works on, as a border service agent. I worry oh, wow. about catching the infection and passing it to a more vulnerable patient. Oh my God, Kelly, that would just, that would break my heart. If I did something that hurt a patient, that is devastating to me. And is what you're I saying worry- something that's echoed by most uh, GPs in, uh, across the country? Oh, yeah, hands down. GPs and specialists. Because remember, there are respirologists who are seeing patients who are coming in coughing. If they themselves don't have a mask, they would have to, they, they're at risk. They're at great personal danger. They, if they catch the virus, they may inadvertently pass it to another sick patient. They see very complex patients, right? And that's just one specialty. There's a ton of specialties out there who see complex, frail patients. And we need to make sure there's enough PPE there to not just protect ourselves, but to prevent cross-contamination. How much of your patients' visits are done virtually now? And is there a learning curve? I would imagine it's particularly challenging for your elderly patients, which they're the last people you really want to see in person right now. I'm trying to avoid seeing them. I've managed to hold off seeing them for about a month, and then I had to bring some of them in to them or do house calls to see them. Um, a lot of my elderly patients are frail, they're complex, much like elderly patients all around the province. This is I am not unique in this. Um, I, I found that physicians within 24 to 48 hours of the province going to essential emergent care only switched to virtual care. It was this massive transition that happened very quickly, that was scaled up very quickly. Physicians spent thousands of dollars to put, to put um, their computers to use, to upgrade them so that they could do virtual care. We may do with phone calls and things like that. While it's helped to um, put a plug in the leak, it, it, you can't hold it back for too long. Because at you some brought up... Yeah, go on. I want I want to just jump in for a second, Dr. Lam, because you brought up uh, that a lot of uh, physicians are worried that they are going to have to close down their practices. Yeah. Obviously, uh, you know, it's important because they bill the government, the government pays them back. Yep. One of the question marks was the coding uh, that you actually put into your computer. Uh, it wasn't working for visual, uh, virtual visits. Now, I know the government said, yeah, OK, you can charge for virtual visits because you are literally working with your uh 
with your patients, but have, have they fixed that problem with the, uh, the code that you enter into the program in order to get paid? No, it is absolutely ridiculous that they haven't yet done that. We're not going to be paid for the work we've been doing all along till about June, July. I mean, the deadline keeps getting pushed back. It's, it's created a great deal of uncertainty because at the same time, you still have to pay for your building. You still have to pay for your equipment. You still have to pay for your staff. Even if you have two patients coming in the afternoon, I still need a front desk staff there. I still need myself there. Um, I still need my equipment to take care of them. I still need my, my lights on, all of that working to take care of them, regardless of whether there are 20 people who show up or two people who show up. And right now, a lot of physicians, three quarters of physicians who work in a fee-for-service model, they are struggling to keep their doors open. It's become pretty bad out there. Are you uh, able to take advantage of the government small business loans? I don't qualify for some of them. Um, the Ontario and government has put out this, this loan, this advanced payment loan program. I've chosen to opt out of it mainly because I'm not sure what the terms are going to be, and I don't know whether I'll be able to pay it back. It's going to be clawed out of my earnings automatically starting in November. And I don't know when we're going to be able to get back to a semblance of normal where I can ramp up volumes enough to pay that money back. And again, a lot of that's capped, right? We've got drug shortages, we've got PPE shortages, we've got um, infection control precautions. So one visit, one surgery now takes three to four times as long as it used to. I want to ask you, Dr. Lem, I know that you're, you're located uh, not just in a family practice, but usually work in, in a hospital as well. Which one is it? Yes, it's Georgetown Hospital. It's a great hospital. Okay, so I want to read a tweet from April 9th uh, that you wrote. And I this tweet to me uh, was so telling about what physicians uh, are dealing with uh, during this pandemic. You wrote, I'm starving, thirsty, tired. I wore my N95 mask for seven hours straight, careful to conserve my PPE. Then I go to see a 72-year-old man with poor lung function and COVID-19 on oxygen. I don't want to die on a machine. I want to see the blue sky. This is what he says to you. So I sat and we watched the sky. How much of a reality is this? And how has your role changed as a physician when it comes to working with COVID patients who are completely isolated from loved ones? I, I remember that day. Sorry. Still, um, I remember that day. I remember that patient. He, he left his mark on me. And, um, and, and I find that working in an environment where you've got a disease that can be pretty deadly for a number of people, for elderly patients, for patients with complex illnesses, um, means you have to be careful. You're constantly on guard. Working in an environment where you don't have enough PPE where you ha- and you don't know how long the infection is going to last for, so you don't know how long you have to stretch that PPE out for, you keep your mask on. And as long as you don't touch it, as long as you don't, it's not dirty, as long as you can still breathe through it, you don't have to change it. It'll keep protecting you. And so I've known of physicians who have worn their N95 respirators for 12 hours straight during a shift. Um, and we're all trying. We're, we're all really trying. Um, but are you taking on the role of loved one as well? Because, yes. I mean, to sit and watch 
this guy with a 72-year-old man who possibly could be dying. I mean, when you say or remember that patient, I don't know if he's alive or dead. I mean, I'd like to kind of hope that he beat it. But the fact that he just wants you to sit with him for a while and and look up at the sky, you're incredibly busy. You're dealing with a high-stress situation, and now you're acting like a loved one. How? What does that do for you as a doctor and as a person at the end of the day? You can't be business as usual. You can't be all business all the time. your heart goes out to these patients because they haven't seen their family. It's unclear if they're going to see their family. Families try and come and visit and stand outside the window and wave. Families try and call in on FaceTime, but um, it's, uh, it's, it's tough. It's really tough because you're pulled every which way. Your heart's pulled every which way. You try and give of yourself as much as you can, but it's it's exhausting being afraid, being tired, being um, it's all it all captures being up. a person. I would imagine yeah. being just yeah. human. It must be absolutely exhausting. I want to just point to a website that you. Um, a URL that you uh, posted in your tweet, icareforhealthcare.ca. I'm I'm guessing that that is a way for you to speak up and ask for uh, help for physicians right now during this time. I am because honestly, Kelly, I am desperately afraid of what's going to happen to not just my patients but all the other patients who are on wait lists. Ontario is working at a hundred percent capacity. We lose a couple of specialists, a couple of family doctors that makes a big difference. We lose thousands of them. That makes a profound difference. 